Welcome back to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. I'm Nikkei Fabier with the CPA Education Foundation, and I'll be your host for this episode. In 2020, New York-based performer Rocky Patera's song, I'm an Accountant, went viral on TikTok and YouTube. In the lyrics, Patera sings, nobody asks you questions when you say you're an accountant. Although the song provides listeners with comedic relief, it also plays into the archetype that accountants are number crunchers and that their work is oversimplified. In reality, CPAs are more than number crunchers and spreadsheet wizards. They're decision makers who lead the organizations they work for or own. CPAs are board members of nonprofit organizations, controllers for global companies, and educators of the next generation. CPAs are well-equipped to manage changes in technology and the economy. Although some CPAs have taken non-conventional routes, I would also like to acknowledge the CPAs who work as auditors, tax experts, and business evaluators, to name a few. Your strong accounting acumen and managerial skills are highly respected and help drive the profession forward. I honor and respect your dedication to protecting the public interest. Joining me today via Zoom is Asfar Durrani, CPA. Asfar is an early career CPA who obtained his CPA designation in January of 2020. He has professional experience in a variety of roles in the industry sector and has completed a short term in public practice with a tax firm. Asfar currently works as a rail fleet analyst with Nutrien. Asfar manages product movement via rail based on forecasted demand. He is also a sessional instructor at Mount Royal University, where he teaches Introduction to Financial Accounting. Asfar contributes his success to his education at the post-secondary level and CPA PEP level, and the mentors who have helped him along his journey. So, what do CPAs do? Let's hear Asfar's thoughts straight from the CPA's mouth. 150,000 new businesses are created in Canada each year, but only emotional intelligence is a critical skill for leaders. How do I develop artificial intelligence will take over analytics, big data, trend analysis. That Alberta needs to diversify its economy, but how do we do that? Create new opportunities for young innovators. This account for 77% of all private jobs. Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Hi, Asfar. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, DK. Thank you for having me. I'm extremely excited for our chat today. Good. Me as well. So I won't waste any time then, and I guess we can get right into it. So I think probably the most important question is, have you heard this TikTok song? I sure have. Uh, it's hilarious, but honestly, not far from the truth of how we are perceived. You can't <laughs> imagine the number of times I get, oh, you're an accountant. You must be good with numbers. Or could you do my taxes? <laughs> it's like the go-to for people. But what what we really do in accounting and what we really learn in accounting is conceptual with application through numbers, if that makes any sense. Um, but that perception, totally I agree, um, is out there. Yeah. So do you think that the way that accountants are potentially portrayed in pop culture isn't necessarily accurate? I don't think so. I think we we have a lot more context than just the numbers we present. <laughs> That's fair. So I'm wondering, um, you're obviously a very early career CPA, so I'm wondering, can you walk me through your professional journey so far? Uh, what types of roles have you held? Yeah, for sure. So my first professional journey started with Slumberger, which is an oil and gas service company, and that was my first accounting summer job. 
what Slumberger did is they acquired a small oil and gas company in Red Deer. So I was working on all the asset movements from, from that acquisition. So I would drive down to Red Deer and back to Calgary every day for four months. <laughs> it was insane. And, you know, even cooler than that, they sent me on this asset count all around Alberta, like smallest towns I'd never even heard of, Drayton Valley, Bonneville, Provost, or, or just a few to name. And what I learned when I was going through those asset count is how we adapt to our environment, um, going from that corporate environment to being out on the field, how how different our communication is, how different the work is. And we, we honestly quickly adapt. Uh, so very, very neat experience working for Slumberger and having that opportunity to go down um, to those small towns. Mm -hmm. Then... I also worked at AMEC on the curl project with Imperial. So that was my second uh, summer term. Again, oil and gas. But, you know, my last year in accounting, I decided I wanted a little, little bit of diversification. So I decided I'm, I'm going to try Agrium. So I was a plant accountant at uh, Carsland. Okay. And honestly, that was the best experience I've had being like present where that entire operations manufacturing happens, getting, you know, a few walkthroughs of the facilities, understanding how the science behind it and the actual operations behind how these products are manufactured was just, you know, magnificent. And then you can bring that into your finance piece and just have a better understanding on, again, that context behind these numbers. So very cool experience working for Agrium at that time. The company's now Nutrien and that's where I am. Okay, yeah. So that was my last summer term and then I graduated. So I started my CPA right away. I got an opportunity with Smart Technologies at that time as a CPA intern. Mm -hmm. So I started in the audit side of things for Smart. And again, another very, very cool experience because I got to do um, an audit on expense and an audit on inventory. I don't want to give too much away, but let's just say there was a lot of interesting findings through that experience. Made me kind of seem like a detective at times with the forensic work that went behind this audit of inventory. You got to flex your ethics muscle. <laughs> totally, totally. But it, it was awesome. So, you know, when I experienced that in audit, I, I knew I really liked audit. And that's when I had to decide because we were moving towards the deciding what the two electives we want. Um, to choose in CPA. So I knew I really enjoyed audit, obviously, through this experience. But I was unsure for my my second elective. And I knew I really did not like tax. So what I decided to do is like, let's gain some experience in tax just to see if it's really something I don't like. So I joined a small tax firm and honestly hated my life. Like I worked there for two and a half months and just did not like it. Uh, and then I decided to leave. So I left. And fortunately, within two weeks of me leaving, I got a job at Nutri. And now it was Agrium back then as a gross margin accountant. So that was my first role at Nutrien. Then I moved on to another role at Nutrien called FPNA, which in my opinion was probably the most glamorous role I've had because we were <laughs> we were doing work that was directly going to the CEO, to the board members. And a lot of the work I did was confidential. So, you know, we were always basically a blackout period, not able to communicate any information out or buy shares. So very, very cool. Got to see the entire, you know, bigger picture of that organization. 
obviously I was going through my CPA designation at the same time. And uh, I completed that when I was in this role. Once that was done, I really want to try something outside. And that's when I came into my current role, which is rail fleet analyst. Great. That's really good to hear. So, I mean, it's really clear you have very diverse professional experience, everything from tax to finance, FP&A. Um, can you maybe describe for us how your current role at Nutrien differs from a more traditional accounting role? Absolutely. So my current role is extremely collaborative. Like there's a lot of dependencies um, within and outside. So for example, a core role of mine is to do fleet planning. So we bring the commercial teams and operational team together and we try to do a long-term fleet planning to decide how many rail cars do you need, right? So you need different kinds of rail cars to move different sort of products. And we don't want too many rail cars because then, you know, there's a high cost associated to it, but we also don't want not enough cars because loss of sale is probably the worst thing that could happen in a business. So finding that sweet spot, you know, what we can live with, at the same time, there's some things that we just can't plan for, you know. This role, I was also able to bridge my finance experience, right? So when I came into this role, I was in charge of creating our $150 million budget year over year. Oh, wow. So I worked very closely with our finance teams and uh, we we bring so much more light to the numbers, right? And I think that that's what happens when you're in operations. You have the story. But now you have the numbers as well. So you can just, you know, bring both of those things together. So providing cost stewardship reports and variance analysis is that much more meaningful. Mm -hmm. Lastly, the most technical accounting thing that I do in this role, and it's so surprising, is actually with IFRS 16. Because these rail cars are capitalized and we need to comply with that IFRS 16 rules. So that is probably the most technical accounting side that I see in this role and one would never have thought, right? I mean, IFRS 16 is fairly new, but um, bridging that, you know, and this is like a good example of having a finance background, how it helps in operations too. So I think I think these are some of the core, core roles that I do. But, you know, more than that, the biggest difference I think I see compared to what it was in finance is that operation is extremely fast paced. Mm -hmm. Like people are a lot more adaptive to change and each day is like so unpredictable. I, I can't plan a day. So that change for me was actually very hard coming from finance year. In a way, what you've described, it almost sounds kind of similar to like more of a supply chain role where you're really focusing on finding that sweet spot of, okay, how many rail cars do we need? What does that look like? Um, so I'm wondering how... How do you think the CPA designation has really helped you pivot from one industry to the next? So, you know, you've mentioned that you've really found your fit in industry and that you enjoy it, but you're also an instructor at Mount Royal. So how do you think the designation has allowed you to pivot easily from one industry? I, I actually really, really like that question. And I think what this designation has done is it's helped me bridge to many roles within and outside of finance. But more than that, you know, when I was going through CPA, yes, I got some, you know, technical accounting knowledge, but it actually equipped me with the soft skills much more. So time management, communication, analytical thinking, informed decision making. These, these were the things that I actually learned through CPA more than just the technical accounting. And I think these are the skills that are transferable to no matter what industry or what role you're in. 
I think another benefit of this designation and accounting in general is that we're not limited to an industry or a role. Right. So, you know, look, look, just look at my career path from oil and gas to technology to accounting firm and now fertilizer and a lab instructor at a university, right? Absolutely. So if someone were to ask you, say, a student that is maybe taking introduction to financial accounting, they're not sure about their career path, if they were to ask you, what do CPAs do? What would you say? That's a good question. And, you know, I want to start a little granular. So when you start your CPA through part, you're required to do 30 months of, you know, more or less uh, specific finance experiences, what you're required to do. So that could be audit, that could be tax, could be financial reporting, treasury, FP&A, consulting work, you know, like, but, you know, within that limitation to just from the things that I mentioned, there's a lot of variety that you can experience. So students can expect that when you're coming in, that yes, the first 30 months is going to be specific accounting finance experience. But within that too, there's a lot of options, right? So if you're into audit and you're into tax, perfect. Like, you know, you would be a very good fit to work for a firm. Right now with CPA, you also can get that designation working through industry, right? So if you want more of a financial reporting or a FP&A role and that experience, you can go through that as well. So within the limitation, there's a lot of options. Right. No, that's a really good point. Um, When you decided that you wanted to pursue accounting as your major or even just the CPA pathway, uh, career path in general, what didn't you know before you got into the industry that you wish someone told you? The biggest learning for me was I had no idea how big data analytics was. Like data analytics is huge and how much we can now leverage artificial intelligence for not only efficiency and accuracy, but also like an in-depth context for informed decision-making. So I I wish we were equipped with tools and, you know, we had more insight into this. How, How do we deal with data? How do we use data to tell the story yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's a difficult one because, you know, technology is changing so fast, so it's kind of hard to keep up to speed. So I think it would be a really good potential PD opportunity to take advantage of in the future. I really think so, yeah. I did want to ask you, did you know when you were starting your career where you wanted to end up once you got your CPA designation? Do you have any advice for post-secondary students who are beginning to plan their careers? Yeah, so when I started um, my CPA designation, I knew like my limits were within finance. So what I did decided for myself is I'm going to try to venture and experience as much as I can. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try to experience audit, tax, financial reporting, see how I like it. And if I don't like it, now I know. But if I don't experience that, I wouldn't know, you know, if, if I'm into it or not. So that was my first thing. Second thing was I am a firm believer, and this is an understatement, do what you like. Mm-hmm. You must do what you like. Because, you know, when you're doing something you enjoy, it's less of a task. And, you know, you can really see that in your performance. You, you're, you're happy in what you're doing. And as a result, the performance is better. So if given the opportunity, would you suggest, so say, for example, for students who might be um, in a co-op program, would you suggest that if the opportunity arises, they could potentially do one co-op semester in industry and another in public practice and see kind of what's a better fit for them? Absolutely. Absolutely. My, my Initially, I would say experience everything. Don't close your doors yet because you won't know. Um, and once you do know, 
you know, pursue what you enjoy. And, you know, in pursuing what you enjoy, you the students will quickly learn the difference between working for a leader and a, working for a manager and how important that is, right? So fortunately, I'm, I'm in a very, very good spot right now where I have an amazing manager who is my leader. Mm-hmm. And what that allows me to do is I am only focused on my work and, you know, giving the best output because I know I have a leader who has my back for my career development, right? I don't need to spend my time and energy into worrying about that myself because I already have someone. But if I'm working for a manager, I'm trying to get my work done. I'm also trying to look out for my career. And this is going to be one of the biggest learning experiences students uh, face outside of school. So when you identify something you like, it's it's actually encompassed with who you're working for, what kind of job you're doing, and how that leader is helping you change and grow within that scope. Right. Speaking of leadership, I know you've talked to me a lot in previous conversations about um, the role of mentorship and really the value of having a mentor. So how has mentorship played a role in your success? Is there any advice that you've received from a mentor that has been really valuable over the years? Absolutely. I don't even know where to start, but honestly, <laughs> mentor, mentors and mentorship is so so very important. And, you know, I learned this through this very unique and cool opportunity I had where I got this opportunity to go for lunch with our CEO. And this is what he had shared with me. And it just resonates so well. There's three core things that mentors do for you. Number one is they share their experience, which imagine how valuable that is. Someone who Mm -hmm. has five, 10, 15, however many years of experience Second, they provide guidance in context of where you want to take your career, right? So you might want to take it one way. So these guys are, you know, helping you out with that roadmap basis, their experience. Lastly, and most importantly, we don't realize this, but they act as sponsors. And what that means, especially in a corporate world is no matter how good my relationship with my manager is, and no matter how good work I do, majority of the time, my manager is not going to recommend me to a parallel position to them, right? Right. So these are the times where, you know, these mentors come in as sponsors. They're having that discussion on on a table, you know, which is way above your pay grade, but they're actually putting your name out there. So these are the three most important things that mentors do for you. However, one thing I do want to add, and I am a big advocate for this, is reverse mentorship. Because... I truly believe we as younger professionals who are just starting off can also bring a lot of value to that discussion. Of course. And whenever I have my mentorship sessions, I make sure I do that. That's great. I think that's really good advice. Is there any specific um, advice that you've been given that really stands out from a mentor? Yes. So I want to go back to this uh, lunch with my CEO and, and this is a little bit of a story, but it honestly changed the way I do things now. So when we went for this lunch, the first thing I was asked is, hey, Asfar, what's what's your purpose in life? And I'm just like, (laughs) That's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean what's my purpose in life? But honestly, he didn't want an answer. He just wanted me to like think about this because it is the core to everything we do. What What is your purpose in life? And 
through that discussion, we had discussions on mentorship. We had discussions on, you know, if you want to accelerate your career, what you need to do. So you need to identify your third role, not the one right after this or the one after that, your third role. If you can identify your third role, you can start doing things now, you know, to get there. Mm -hmm. And that's how you can accelerate your career. But going back to this question, what is your purpose? I had to think a lot about this. You know, it took me months and I just couldn't come down to it. So I tried to simplify it. I'm like, as far like, what makes you happy? And, you know, that's how I started to think about this question. And what personally makes me happy is seeing other people happy. I like to help in whatever way I can, you know, but that's what makes me happy. I want to see this world be a happy place, you know, be a better place for the future. And I think what I can do right now in my capacity is share my time, share my knowledge. But I'm not limiting to that. I know this is my situation right now. When I want to share something like this, I might have four or five people, hopefully through this podcast, a lot more people who, who are listening to me, right? Mm -hmm. But I also realize that, you know, if you really want to have a big impact, you need to be influential. So, so that's how I have kind of identified and that's how I'm kind of working towards my purpose. I want to make good change to the world. And in my limitation, it's through time and knowledge share. But I definitely want to get to a point where it's a lot more than that. I am hopefully influential where, you know, I can spread this message to a lot more people and they can do the same. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good to hear. And I think it also really kind of comes back to what you mentioned earlier about doing what you like. So for you, part of finding your purpose is focusing on what makes you happy. And then I think in turn, that's also doing what you like to do, which is really cool. You nailed it. And you know, this, this is such a good point because that's how I measure success. You know, to me, success is how happy am I? That's how I measure my success. Not everybody can have a different measurement for success. For some, it might be a role they're in. For some, it might be the monetary side of things. But for me today, the only reason I would be like, hey, maybe I am successful is because I'm happy. I'm happy in what I'm doing. I'm happy with where I am in life. So that is how I measure my success. Exactly. Success is however you define it, not how other people define it for you. Exactly. Um, so has there been anything that has surprised you throughout your career so far or the accounting profession in general? Was there ever a moment where you kind of second-guessed your decision to pursue the CPA designation? That's uh, that's a very, very good question. And I think it's more based on my personality. So I'm, I'm a very competitive human being and I just don't give up. Mm -hmm. So in that context, I don't think I ever second-guessed it. But I can tell you it was not easy. I started my CPA designation in 2015 and the very first module I failed. Mm. Right. But, you know, when I failed this, obviously there was self-doubt. I was looking down upon myself. I was just disappointed. But one thing that fueled me was that, hey, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to learn from my mistake and I'm going to continue to do what worked well for me. But I'm also shamelessly spending time in identifying what didn't work for me. Right. And, you know, in doing that and staying true to yourself, I was able to pass it the second time I wrote the exam. I personally don't have a negative con connotation to failure. I think our society is getting better with that too. In fact, to me, it actually adds more value because 
not only have you learned what to do, but you've also learned what not to do. Right. So that was, that was a big learning. And, you know, then I got through my modules. Now comes my CFI. So CFI day one, two, and three managerial side of accounting is my strength. I absolutely love it. And, you know, that's when I was doing these practice cases, day one is where I was excelling Mm -hmm. and day two and three were tough. So what happens, I, I go write my CFI in 2018 and I get my results. I fail day one, but I passed day two and three. So I, again, another downfall, same thing, self-doubt. I looked down upon myself, but again, I, I followed the same process I did for, you know, mod one. What did I do wrong? Like shamelessly identify how could I have failed day one? That was my strength. What I did is I was too focused on day two and three that I didn't give day one enough time that it required. And, you know, obviously went through that whole process again and passed my CP. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. Honestly, being designated, it, it it was a big deal to me. It really mattered to me and my family. And I can't tell you how lucky I, I am to have the support I have through my friends and family. And that was definitely a big contributing factor. So coming back to the question, it was not easy. I had a lot of help. But I also had a lot of will to like not give up. So I never, I never doubted my decision, but I worked hard for it. Absolutely. And you didn't let those setbacks ultimately affect you, which I think is really great to hear. We, we can't, right? Like, you know, it's just a matter of time where we will face something that's challenging, right? So we just have to embrace that. It's like, hey, yes, th- we are going through this tough time. But what can we do about it? What's in my control? How can I change this? And and that's just how I deal with like anything that comes my way now. I think that's such really good advice too, is just focusing on the things that you can control. And then hopefully by doing that, the outcome will change. And in this case, it absolutely did. It did. I also wanted to ask you, um, what do you think is changing in the accounting industry? I know you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, this focus on data analytics and technology. Um, what would be your advice? How do you think people can prepare themselves for the future? I think it's exactly that. And it's going back to what we kind of briefly discussed. Accounting is becoming extremely automated. It's less manual than ever before. Mm-hmm. And we need to talk with this change because it's efficient. Like it's a good change. So we need to now move our focus from doing to providing insightful context, sharing and piecing that knowledge together, embracing the power of collaboration, right? And what I really mean by this is if I am, if I am creating a financial statement and I'm creating these numbers together, I'm putting this statement of income together, I, as an accountant, need to meet with the operations and understand the context. Okay, this was our performance but this is what went behind it. I need to spend time with uh, external researchers. Hey, this is what the industry is looking like, right? That's the direction that this number is supporting. So I think it's that. We need to really move away from doing and putting the entire story together and really backing those numbers up. Mm -hmm. That, in my opinion, is going to be the biggest change that we see because you can't get away from efficiency. That's always a good thing, right? So we need to really adapt to what's out there, use it, but also bring our knowledge into play. How am I going to, what story am I going to tell? What story am I taking to the market, basically? 
Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think in a way, CPAs will become um, the ethical gatekeepers of the future. Because like you said, the a lot of the accounting functions have become automated. But I think where CPAs will really be focusing their attention will be on the ethics piece and then the decision making that comes with those numbers. Absolutely. So Asfar, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Uh, Before we wrap up, I do have one last question for you. And this kind of stems from a book that I'm reading right now called How to Do Nothing uh, by Jenny (laughs) Adell. (laughs) The title (laughs) is not what it seems, (laughs) but basically the book is about the power of reflection and intention. So being present, being aware, um, and how we can learn to refocus our attention to get the most out of life. And I know you talked a little bit about it when you shared um, your failure story, but I was wondering how do you do nothing? So how do you take time for yourself and what does that look like? Oh, where do I start? How do you do nothing? I think the way I do nothing is by being extremely productive internally while being extremely unproductive externally, but guilt-free. <laughs> right? Guilt-free, like I'm, you know, it might come across as like, this guy is super unproductive, but honestly what I'm doing is really helping me internally. And and three things that come to my mind, and these are very simple examples, is every morning, especially working from home, when I'm drinking my coffee, I just sit on my swing and soak in the sun. You know, yeah. that's me doing nothing. But it's so powerful. You know, me taking naps, like naps really help me. It really helps my mood. So taking a nap is another one. But uh, the most consistent one has been like going for drives late at night by myself. You know, I like that. Yeah. So these these things are so unproductive externally, but internally they drive my energy, you know, and they're the sole source of my mood. So I think that's how I managed to do nothing. (laughs) I love that. I think that's very relevant. And I think that's a perfect way to close it out. So once again, thank you so much for joining me today, Asfar. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth featured Asfar Durrani, CPA. Don't forget to subscribe to the Straight from the CPA's Mouth mailing list for exclusive content. As always, if you have ideas for future episodes or have any feedback you'd like to share, email us at knowledgecenter at cpaalberta.ca or leave us a comment on social media. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the HESHI CPA Knowledge Centre. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the HESHI CPA Knowledge Centre and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.